Thank you, and once again, good morning to students and teachers of the Word of God. We hope that you'll join us today's broadcast as we continue our studies on the Theological Seminar of the Air. Now, these broadcasts coming to you from time to time constitute about, oh, I suppose, 104 broadcasts that deal with the great subject of theology, that is, the study of the nature and the work and person of God from the Word of God itself, the Holy Bible. We've been studying here recently, our studies have been on Christology, that is, studying the life and person work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And on previous broadcasts, we've studied other matters. On previous broadcasts, we've studied uh, the matters of the Godhead, the matters of the Trinity, the uh, nature of Christ and his birth, and the prophecies concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. On our broadcast for today, we're discussing the miracles of Christ. The miracles of Christ is the subject of our discussion on today's broadcast. I hope that you'll study with us a few minutes and take time out from the uh, mundane affairs of this life to get in the Word of God and get a blessing from this study together with us. The miracles of Christ is our subject today, studying under the heading of Christology. Christology. I have one very important announcement. Of course, I don't like to take up time in these broadcasts for any kind of announcement. Uh, these broadcasts are brought to you by Christians who are interested in propagating the Word of God. And on these broadcasts, of course, we never make any appeal for funds and never make any pitch for support. We may ask you to pray for us, but when we say that, we don't mean to send us a letter whereby we can send you a Xerox prayer copy with a Xerox signature on it uh, asking for further contributions. These broadcasts only reach you because some Christian in your community was concerned about getting the Word of God out. And for that purpose, we spend the vast majority of time these broadcasts dealing directly with the Holy Scriptures. I want to take just as little time out for announcements as possible. And all I want to say in this broadcast is that if you are interested in obtaining the Bible Believers Commentary Series, the only commentary written in the United States that accept the King James Bible with the Word of God and discuss every word and every verse of the Hebrew and Greek text with the English, these commentaries are available at Box 6235, Pensacola, Florida. We have in print and ready for distribution the Bible Believers Commentary on Acts, the one on Exodus, the one on Genesis, the one on Revelation, the one on Matthew, the one on Proverbs, and Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. As I said before, these are the only uh, commentaries in the United States or in the world that take for granted the King James Bible, the Word of God, from cover to cover, and, and discuss in, discusses in detail the critical and exegetical problems involved in believing that text. Now, we realize, of course, there are many what you call skin-milk texts, that is, texts that are uh, commentaries that are written uh, talking about the devotional matters in the Word of God without discussing the critical matters. But our work here in the Bible Believers Commentary Series is a detailed discussion of the critical apparatus and the Hebrew and Greek exegetes while maintaining faith in the King James text. If you'd like to get these commentaries, write to Box 6235, Pensacola, Florida. Now we're discussing today the miracles of Christ. And this subject has for centuries been a battleground in which men have fought. The scientific mind, so-called, of our 20th century, has attempted to solve the dispute, and they've attempted to solve the disputes by uh, just pretending they didn't happen. The scientist rejects them because he can neither understand them nor prove them. Therefore, of the so-called empirical mind, which means the doubting mind or the unbelieving skeptic, the so-called scientific mind, which means the narrow-minded bigot that holds sacred cows in the backyard, 
the miracles of Christ are to be rejected. The believer accepts them because he has faith in a miracle-working God, and his first proof of it, of course, is the new birth itself. Nothing could be more, more miraculous than the new birth itself. And how in, how in the world, why in the world would any man uh, who experienced the miracle of the new birth doubt the miracle of Jesus Christ? Uh, the miracle of the new birth is in itself a miracle. Uh, the reason why many people have trouble accepting the miracles is they have no miracle to point to in their own particular life. The word miracle is used very loosely today. Someone escapes death in an automobile accident may say, well, it was just like a miracle. Actually, it was not a miracle at all. It was an act of divine providence. It was the protection of the Lord. Now, what does the word miracle mean? A simple definition is that a miracle is the setting aside of a lower law by a higher law, the higher law being the law of God that supersedes earth's laws. For example, an apple falls down according to the law of gravity, but if it fell up, that'd be a miracle. It'd be the power of God superseding and chain the law of gravity in a centrifugal force. However, when we deal with the dumb, stupid, empirical mind of our day, the narrow-minded, bigoted, educated mind, we shall discover these dumb nuts do not yet understand an airplane taking off the ground. With all the talk about airflow and aerodynamics and all the talk about feathering and the props and the stabilizers and the vacuum and the uplift and all this and that, it never occurs to the dumb nuts that in defying the law of gravity, a higher law comes into play when the plane takes off the ground, and this law is worked out by a human sinner with not enough mental capacity to even comprehend God. Now, if a creature who doesn't have the mental capacity to understand and appreciate his creator can defy the law of gravity by overcoming it with a higher law, do you think God needs to go to your school or what? The scholars say it's in an effect in nature not attributable to any of the recognized operations of nature, nor to the act of man, but indicative of superhuman power and of serving as a sign or witness thereof. In Acts 4, the Jewish council and the Holy Spirit call the healing of Acts 3 a miracle, because ordinarily a 40-year-old man who has never walked doesn't walk. Now, the uniqueness, the uniqueness of Jesus' miracles is apparent. They were performed to prove his deity and to accredit his message. Therefore, they are debunked and disbelieved to attack his deity and take away his credentials. In John 2.11, we read this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cain of Galilee and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples <clears throat> believed on him. The prophets, Moses, Aaron, and Elijah, performed miracles by delegated power given by God specifically for the task. But the Lord Jesus Christ performed his miracles by his own power to demonstrate his deity. In all, Jesus performs 35 to 40 miracles recorded in the gospel, and these will have to be all be discredited by the modern so-called empirical scientific mind, which is about as objective as a Jesuit priest at an inquisition. Uh, the fact that you don't believe the miracles is nothing to us or nothing to God. It's a problem of yours. If you ever experienced the miracle of a new birth in your life, you'd have better sense than to doubt his power. Jesus, in his temptation, refused to perform a single miracle to obey the devil or satisfy his hunger. And when he was brought before Herod, the skeptic, and Herod said, show me something, he wanted to see a sign from him, the Lord Jesus Christ showed him absolutely nothing. 
And there is one man the Lord Jesus Christ is not interested in demonstrating his deity in front of, and that is a dishonest skeptic. The Lord Jesus Christ said about an honest skeptic, If any man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine, whether it be God or whether I speak of myself. But in dealing with a man like Herod, who had defiled his conscience when he rejected the ministry of John the Baptist, and seared his conscience when he went to the dance, and killed his conscience when he had the preacher murdered, the Lord Jesus Christ has no empirical, objective, scientific, existential proof to offer at all. And if you don't like it, son, you can lump it. This peculiar belief we have today that a man is going around spending his time overthrowing the Word of God and spending time in the five-foot Harvard shelf of classic and messing around with the uh, Mickey Mouse scholarship of A.T. Robertson, Gregory, Westcott, and Hort, and Macon, the Disneyland exegetes of the Bible, that this man can come to God and demand the miracle is nonsense. It's kind of like a butterfly laying on a railroad track and then claiming God isn't around because a train doesn't run over him every time he lands on the track. Well, who's going to take time out to mash a butterfly? Now, as regards to Jesus' miracles, first of all, he had miracles over nature. In Matthew 8, 26 to 27, they said, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and sea obey him? The winds and the sea obey no man today. There isn't an astronaut or a, a nautical knot or an areologist or a meteorologist in the world today who controls any wind or any sea. You don't control nothing. And if a hurricane brews up, you either run and pray, or stay and pray, or stay and get injured and die, or run for your life and curse. But you don't stop it. You hear these people going around saying, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, trying to get people healed, but the same people won't walk on the water. Well, let me tell you something. If the apostolic signs are still in evidence, and if Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, how come some of you nuts that are always hanging around Acts chapter 2 don't do any water walking, huh? Why don't you get down here in the Gulf sometime and a hurricane comes through and help us out, okay? He had power over devils. Demons went out of the swine, and they went out of people in Matthew 8, 28. They went into the swine in Mark 5. They went out of people in Matthew 8, 28, 9, 32, 15, 22, 17, 14, and Mark 1, 23. He had power over disease to heal palsy, Matthew 8, 13, an impotent man, John 5, 9, a withered hand, Matthew 12, 13, a spirit of infirmity, Luke 13, 12, blood that wouldn't coagulate, Matthew 9, 22, dropsy, Luke 14, 2, fever, Matthew 8, 15, deaf and dumb, Matthew 9, 33, sight to the blind, John 9, 1, hearing to the deaf, Matthew 11, 5, he could cure leprosy, Matthew 8, 3, and he healed ten different kinds of sicknesses. Without a prayer line, a healing line, a healing cloth, an organ, a tent, a truck, or a radio program. He had power over death. He raised Lazarus from the dead, John 11. He also raised Jairus' daughter, Matthew 9. And he raised the son of the widow of Nain in Luke 7, verse 12 to 15. He didn't lie down on a body but quit breathing in a coma in a hospital. He hauled them out of the cemetery after they'd been buried for four days. You seen any of that going on lately? Now, some of you Mooney is going to have a hard time pulling off that one, aren't you? That isn't all. 
Among his miracles, Jesus turned water to wine, John 2, feeds 5,000 people, John 6, 1, feeds 4,000 people, Matthew 5, 15, 32, curses the fig tree, Matthew 21, finds the light chain in a fish's mouth, Matthew 17, 27, and walks on the ocean, John 6, 15 to 21. And if that weren't enough, after he himself had been buried for three days, he walks out of a tomb that is guarded by Roman centurions and sealed with the army of occupation governor's ring. His own resurrection was the greatest miracle of all, 1 Corinthians 15.4. Now we see from an examination of Jesus' miracles that the people who profess today to have apostolic power are what John called them in Revelation 2, verse 2. They're called in Revelation 2, verse 2, liars. Now, I hate to be that crude, but after all, I'm preaching a very crude book. And Revelation chapter 2, verse 2 says, Thou hast tried them, but to say they are apostles, and found them not to be, but found them to be liars. You say, what do you mean by such rough language? I mean, if you had any sense, you'd know it was Bible language and not rough language. I mean, if you had spent as much time in that Bible as you spent with a slop that some of you folks read, you wouldn't be upset. You'd be saying, Amen. That's what I mean. You say, what do you mean by that business? <clears throat> I mean this. I mean, wherever you find these people that don't think the signs went out with the apostles, the apostolic signs were given to Israel, wherever you find the people think those signs are still inevitant, you find people trying to counterfeit or imitate something they can't produce, and the surest proof they can't produce it is none of them can do one thing I just mentioned. There isn't a case on this earth where any so-called healer ever fed 4,000 people in the wilderness from a handful of fishes and bread. There isn't a case on record anywhere in the history of any charismatic movement, any Pentecostal movement, any holiness movement, any healing movement, where any healer at any time, <clears throat> under any condition, any possible way, ever went to a cemetery and haul a man up out of the ground that had been buried for four days. And when Christ says, If a man believes on me, these works and greater works shall he do, if you make that reference go beyond the people he's talking to at that time, the apostles in the upper room, you will get in the biggest mess you ever saw theologically and doctrinally. And after all, the mark of the last days is they will not endure sound doctrine. Now, as to the credibility of Jesus' miracles, Jesus' miracles are the warp and woof of the Bible and cannot be separated from it. The records of these miracles are not sensational or even glowingly presented. They're just presented in a matter-of-fact way, and they were performed openly in the press of many witnesses for all to see of every type of person. There was no private audience. There was no closed-room seance. There was no come back into the retreat in the mountains, you know. The stuff was done publicly. Nobody's ever been able to reproduce them. Jesus Christ's miracles are unique. He never performed a miracle for immoral or unworthy purposes. His motives were right. He never performed a miracle to raise up the offering. He never told the fellow, now, if you just exercise your faith in me by giving something in my pocket, then God can do something for you. There isn't one case in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John where Jesus Christ ever tried to get anybody to give anything for any cause to show their faith in what he was saying. Not one single case. The only case like it is where he told a rich young ruler, if you want to have treasure in heaven, sell what you have and give to the poor. 
He didn't take up the collection for himself. And he didn't tell the rich young ruler that if you have enough faith to give away money to the poor, God will heal you. He said, if you give up what you got here, God will give you something later when you die. Isn't it amazing how the people who talk the most about Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, are the most unlike him type of people you ever met in your life? Jesus' miracles were affected immediately. He never told anybody to hang on to their faith. The healing was instantaneous and supernatural. Nobody tired in the prayer line. Nobody had to have a card. Nobody had to be worked into it in an emotional frenzy with an organ playing and only believe, only believe. It was John just like that. Jesus sought to prove to John the Baptist inquiry that he was the Christ by his miracles. And to attempt to explain the miracles is an insult to the power and integrity of Christ and all the efforts by the most brilliant, skeptical, intellectual mind that ever lived to explain these miracles has amounted to what it was to start with, pure horseradish. You know, some of these nuts think he was walking on the ice in Galilee. Ain't that a flip with the wind blowing boisterously <laughs> and a commercial fisherman not knowing that you could walk on ice? Now ain't that a flip, baby? As the original Greek says, <clears throat> ain't that a boffer in Slam City? The miracles are true, and every born-again believer gladly affirms his belief in the recorded Word of God that Jesus Christ did what he did the way the Holy Spirit recorded him as doing it. Now, of course, there are objections to Jesus' miracles by unsaved, hell-bound, unregenerate, educated people. Some say that Jesus' personality was so strong that his healings were by strong influences, and he could cure certain nervous disorders by hypnotism or auto-suggestion. This is entirely unsatisfactory. The modern healers do this by hypnosis and auto-suggestion and by the power of positive thinking and by, as we know, all the psychological tricks of the psychosomatic, you know how it goes. Uh, that is now he doesn't. He reaches down and touches the fellow's eyes, the fellow starts seeing. Foolish suggestions to explain miracles only make the speaker ridiculous. They say the sea was shallow and Jesus really walked on the ground. Well, how'd Peter sink into the ground then when he began to walk, son? They say when the lad gave the load and the fishes, everybody dug it in their lunches and gladly shared them up. That's what you'll find in that movie, you know, on the robe. Everybody bought their lunch with them. Now, ain't that cute? Ain't that cute? The dead were not really quite dead. They were just sleeping, you know. I mean, Lazarus was just taking a four-day nap down there, and he'd begun to stink, you know, because he had bad breath. You got it? Now, materialism and the modern so-called scientific mind, which is old as hell, refuses to recognize divine forces and acknowledges only physical forces, so it rejects miracles outright. To the pantheist who recognize the laws of nature only, miracles are impossible. Agnosticism denies miracles, for it denies the source of miracles, which is God. Naturalists say that the uniformity of nature excludes miracles. Philosophy argues that miracles interrupt the continuity of thought, so are not desired, and to the optimist or idealist, things are so good that miracles are not necessary, while others reject the miracles simply for lack of sufficient evidence. But to the believer, the veracity of Scripture is such we accept the written word without question, because the written word has proved itself more than 500 times in the past, has yet to fulfill itself 1,500 times in the future, and there is no evidence that any naturalist or philosopher or optimist or idealist or realist, or pragmatist, or pantheist, or atheist, or agnostic, 
has ever put down that good a record on what he knew. That is, when we compare with what whoever wrote the Bible knows with what the naturalist and the philosopher and the pragmatist and the optimist and the idealist and the existentialist and the agnostic and the atheist know, we don't even have to flip a coin to know who's right. There isn't one naturalist, atheist, philosopher, optimist, idealist, pragmatist, naturalist, agnostic, materialist, pantheist, or atheist who ever lived, or who ever will live, or who is living now, who could ever write a book that prophesied 48 details of a man's life before he showed up. And Nostradamus in that league couldn't bat 225. Mother Shipton couldn't make 300, and Edgar Casey and Gene Dixon couldn't get up the plate to swing the bat. And if you want to know why we say people have such implicit faith in the miracles of Christ, it's because, one, we've observed that the new birth in our own lives was a miracle, and two, we've observed that the book entrusted to us is a miraculous book, and that no computer can even approximate the phenomena which it approximates. As a matter of fact, there is no feat of engineering science or, or physics, there is no work of Einstein or his followers, there is no work of any computer or mathematician that can even approach the phenomena found in the King James Bible. The King James Bible has laid down 500 details that haven't taken place yet and publicly committed those to the public universally in 800 languages through 809 million copies, and those 500 details of prophecy are written where if one of them slips, you can call God a liar and prove it in court. You say, how do you know they'll come to pass? Because we just had 48 written about one man before he showed up, and all of them came to pass. That is, the Bible's record so far, batting record, is 1,000. And that's a good bit more than you can say for Hank Aaron or Willie Mays or Babe Ruth. So why play in the Little League, you know, when you can get with the pros? Now, to us, the miracles are the credentials that identify Jesus Christ as the Savior. Jesus proved his person and his deity by the miracles that he performed. Miracles are evidence of a superhuman power, even where they come from the devil. Notice 2 Thessalonians 2.9, for the Antichrist's power is from Satan. Now, Jesus received his superhuman power from somewhere, or someone, who? Well, he got him from God or the devil. Miracles will not save anybody, because some miracles come from the devil. Revelation 16.16. 16. But miracles should lead one to faith or belief. Matthew 8.27 showed that miracles certainly strengthen the faith of those who already believe. Now, how about the possibility of miracles today? Miracles were performed in the Old Testament by men like Moses, Elijah, and Elisha, because the Jews seek for a sign, and the first man to show signs, wonders, and miracles was the first national leader of Israel, Moses. Jesus, therefore, performed many miracles during the days of the four gospel, because he was the second Moses, the prophet like unto Moses, and of the Messianic Deliverer and Redeemer of Israel, he must have the signs, wonders, and miracles given to Moses, because 1 Corinthians 1.22 says the Jews seek for a sign. 
After the ascension, quite naturally, the miracles are performed by Peter, Paul, and the apostles, because in Mark 16, we are told that the signs will follow those that believe under the apostles' ministry. Therefore, in the Acts of the Apostles, the favorite book used by all unsaved charismatics, in the Acts of the Apostles, we find the miracles and signs and wonders carried on by the apostles, because in the Acts of the Apostles, the Lord is still dealing with Israel, and the Jews seek for a sign. However, one thing now changes. It is true miracles are still possible today, but miracles are only performed to accredit the messenger, and the need for them today is practically nothing, because until the rapture, God is not taking up his dealing with Israel as a nation. You need no miracle now to prove that Jesus Christ is God, because you can find out by getting on your knees and trusting him. You don't need any miracle to prove the Bible is the word of God. All you have to do is look on the mathematical odds of statistical probability which it presents. That'll validate it. The miracle signs and wonders were strictly Israelish. And while God was dealing with Israel, the signs followed the ministry of the apostles, and those who believed under the apostles had some of those signs and miracles. This is why signs and miracles and healing are included in the gifts to the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And this, of course, is the great stumbling block in the New Testament for the carnal, worldly, fleshy, charismatic, who goes by his feelings instead of by what God said, and his emotional experience instead of the infallible authority of God's Word. Because having rejected sound doctrine, he never sees that since the Jews seek for a sign, the signs begin with Moses, Exodus 4, and they end with the apostles, Mark 16. Furthermore, these Jewish signs are given to Jewish apostles who ministered Israel, and they follow those that believe the ministry of the apostles. Therefore, they're called apostolic signs and wonders and miracles in 2 Corinthians 12, 12. After the New Testament is complete and God takes up his dealing with the Gentiles, these signs, wonders, and miracles are no longer in evidence except by counterfeit. 2 Corinthians 11, 1 to 13, except by counterfeit. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse, or 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1 to 10, except by counterfeit. Revelation 16, verse 16. And until God renews his dealing with Israel, where the Jews seek for a sign, and the signs appear again, the signs and wonders of the apostles go out with the apostles, and this explains why at the end of the book of Acts, Paul is in jail and cannot get an earthquake to get him out, why Trophimus is left at Miletum sick, not healed, 2 Timothy 4, and why at the end of the Acts of the Apostles, Timothy is told to take medicine for an upset stomach. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Read it. Don't get mad. And if you do get mad in children, have malice, but an understanding be ye men. And as far as the miracles performed by Christ concerned, latter attitude be that of the fine old southerner who said, I believe the whale swallowed Jonah because the Bible said so, and if the Bible said Jonah swallowed the whale, I'd believe that too. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. All right, in our next broadcast, we'll talk about the most important subject uh, in regards to the life of Christ, Christology. This will be the death of Christ, the death of Christ. And this also comes under the subject of soteriology, as well as Christology, for the death of Christ is the means of our salvation.
So next week, we'll study the death of Christ under the proper heading of soteriology. Until then, may the Lord bless you, and good day.